Hey, this is Byron, and I'm the lead pastor here at Redemption Church. Thanks for listening to our weekly sermon podcast. I hope this message blesses you, encourages you, and helps you experience life change through Jesus. For more sermons like this, blogs, resources, or opportunities to get connected, visit us at www.redemptiontx.com. Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the great book of Philippians. Today, we're going to be wrapping up our sermon series through the book of Philippians that we have been calling Finding Joy Even When You Don't Feel It, because when you don't feel it, here's what I've discovered. That's when you need to find it the most. When you don't feel it, that's when you know you need to find it. And if you're new to redemption, we've been walking verse by verse through the book of Philippians. And every single week, the Apostle Paul has been addressing a theme, a feeling, an emotion that all of us are experiencing. So in week one, we talked about finding joy even when the world is falling apart. Because true or false, the world is falling apart. How many of you saw 2020 going this way? Anybody see what's coming? No, probably not. I mean, who could have predicted COVID-19, Tiger King, and murder hornets? It is falling apart. But Paul wants us to know that it's possible for you to have joy in your heart even when the world is falling apart. And then week two, we talked about finding joy in suffering. And then we talked about finding joy when you are selfish. We talked about finding joy when you are overwhelmed, when you are frustrated. Last week, we looked to find joy even in our anxiety, and today we're concluding this series by finding joy even when you are uncertain, because the truth is, we're all uncertain. When COVID-19 happened, there was a great sense of unease, unsureness, and uncertainty. We were all uncertain. What does this mean? What's going to happen? What are we fixing to go through? There was a great sense of uncertainty. We have never been through something like this before. A global pandemic, a international health crisis, the financial restrictions and restraints that are going to be placed upon us through unemployment. It creates great sense of uncertainty. Unemployment is up to 20, maybe even 30 million people by the time all of this is over. Graduations have been canceled. Schools have been closed. There is a great sense of uncertainty. Many people are wondering, what does this mean about my job? What's going to happen with my finances and my retirement or my investments, my 401k? What's going to happen with my kids? Am I going to have to homeschool or school's going to open up? Are they going to close? What are we going to do about daycare? There's a great sense of uncertainty. Am I going to get sick? Am I at risk? And no one really knows, and we're all trying to learn as we go, but there's this great sense of uncertainty. I'll let you know that as a pastor, I'm right there with you. I am very uncertain. Whenever all of this went out, went down, and all of the news reports started coming out, And I had to make a big decision about what are we going to do for church? Because at Redemption, there's 300 plus people who come every single Sunday. And the majority of our church is young. But there are a lot of people in our church who are elderly, who are immunocompromised or at risk. And so I had to make a decision based on what's best for us together as a faith family. And I have friends who have lupus or breast cancer. I have friends who are elderly. We have deacons in our church who are 
are elderly or at risk. And so I had to make a decision based on them. Do I open up the church or do we close down? Do we meet in person or do we meet online? And whenever all of this was going on, there was a great sense of uncertainty within me. And so I called some friends and some other pastors. We listened to our governing officials and we decided that we were going to move everything online for the season. And that's the season that we find ourselves in today. It is a season of great uncertainty. We've never been through this before. One researcher that I was reading said that this will be the defining moment of our generation, that COVID-19 will turn out to be bigger than 9-11, the invention of the iPhone, the war in Afghanistan, Iraq, the housing crisis in 2008. It's going to be bigger than all of those. And what's going to happen when this is over is still very uncertain. How many of you? Yeah, you're like, I am very uncertain. What do you do when you're uncertain? You need to find joy. The Apostle Paul is a man who knows exactly what we're going through. See, what you may be feeling is foreign to you, but it's not foreign to the Bible. God knows exactly what we're going through. God knows exactly what's going on, and God knows exactly how we can find joy even in the middle of it. And he had the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago write a book all about finding joy, especially when you're uncertain. See, Paul, he gets it. Paul's a missionary church planter who plants churches all across the ancient world. And where he's writing this book is from prison. He's very uncertain. He's in prison. We're in a pandemic, but the uncertainty is still the same. He doesn't know if he is going to get out. He doesn't know what's going to happen, even if he does. He has no friends. He has no family. He has no wife. He has no kids to go home to. He doesn't know what to do after this. He is uncertain. He is chained to a Roman guard. He is uncertain. He doesn't know if he's going to live or die, if he's going to have freedom. He's uncertain about where his next meal is going to come from, whether or not he is going to get some sleep. He is uncertain. And yet, even in the middle of prison, he has great joy. Because Paul knows something that we tend to forget, that if you have Jesus, you have everything that you need. As long as you have Jesus, you have joy and you have the potential and the possibility for you to find joy even when you are uncertain. And so Paul today, he's going to give us five things that we can be even if we're uncertain. There are five things that you can be even when you are uncertain. There's some things that you have no control over. Right now, you have no control over the situation or the circumstance, but there are some things that you can do. There are some things that you can control and you can control your decisions and choices in the middle of it. So you may be uncertain, but if you do these five things, you can still find joy. The first thing he's going to tell us is this. When you are uncertain, you can still be thankful. Picking up in chapter four, verse 10, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Where is he rejoicing at? He's rejoicing in the Lord. He's not rejoicing in the prison. He's rejoicing in the Lord. He's not rejoicing in the chains and shackles that he's in. He is rejoicing in the Lord. He's not rejoicing in the circumstances or in the situation or season of life that he's in. He is rejoicing in the Lord. Here's what you need to know. 
that God is an infinite source of joy. And so when you're running out of joy, you can run to him because he has more joy to be able to give to you. So just keep going to Jesus. Just keep rejoicing in the Lord. This is fascinating to me that 19 times in 104 verses, Paul says, I rejoiced. I'm rejoicing. Rejoice with me because I'm rejoicing greatly. This is not just a mediocre rejoicing. This is not a, oh, I guess that's okay rejoicing. He is rejoicing greatly. He's not rejoicing like a back row Baptist. He's not rejoicing by doing the, the, the Presbyterian rocking chair, going back and forth. I guess this is okay. No, he's two, two hands up in the air greatly rejoicing. I mean, he is Pentecostal rejoicing. He is charismatic, charismatic rejoicing. He's hands raised high, jumping up and down, dancing, celebrating, throwing parties in his heart. Even though he's in prison, he is rejoicing greatly because God is good. God is great. And if you know that God is good, you have a reason to rejoice greatly. He goes on. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Now that at length you have revived your concern for me, you indeed were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. What Paul's doing right now is he is thanking the Philippian church. He is thanking them for their generosity and their giving to him. He's celebrating the fact that the Philippians love him, care for him, concern for him, that they're supporting him and is grateful and thankful that there are people in his life who bless him when he's in need. He's rejoicing in the Lord, but he is thankful for his friends. And this is something that's very important. And I want you to write this down. Here's a really big life lesson that took me a while to learn. Here's what it is, is that God deserves the glory, but people deserve the gratitude. God deserves the glory, but people deserve the gratitude. Sometimes as Christians, we can get weird when people are nice to us or when people give to us and we can kind of act a little strange. We'll say things like, oh, to God be the glory. Yes, that's true. But also give thanks to the person who is a blessing to you, right? Don't just give God all the glory, but also give other people gratitude. If someone's kind to you, say thank you. If somebody serves you, say thank you to them. If somebody blesses you, say thank you to them. If somebody gives you a gift or maybe somebody opens the door for you, don't say, oh, to God be the glory. They o- Somebody opened the door for me. God opened a door for me. No, thank the person who actually opened the door for you. Say thank you. God gets the glory. Yes, absolutely. But people deserve the gratitude. Who are you thankful for in this season of life? See, Paul's in prison, yet he's still thankful for his friends. You may be in a pandemic, but you can still be thankful for your friends. Who are you thankful for in your life during this season? I'll tell you the truth. As the pastor, I am extremely thankful during this season. I really am because I know that many people have lost their jobs. I know that many people are worried financially. And you know what? They're still serving other people gracefully. Whenever there was first started, there was a man 
in our church who actually lost his job. And he messaged me and said, hey, pastor, I got a little bit of time. Can I please come up and begin to serve the church? And so he would come up to the church and he would clean and he would disinfect everything because he wanted to give of his extra time to be able to serve others. I am thankful for that. Uh, Matt Stevenson, one of our deacons, he actually got laid off from his job as well. And he's been investing his extra time in coming up and serving and getting the church ready. There is a lot of women in our church during this season who are actually, you know, giving birth or having babies. And that's a very uncertain time for many of them. But Redemption Women and our hospitality team, they took it upon themselves to go above and beyond. And they put together gift baskets and meal trains to be able to serve the moms who are in need. Happy Mother's Day. We love you, by the way. Our kids team got together and they wrote 100 We Miss You cards to all of the kids in our church because what kid does not love getting mail? And we're serving and we're blessing and we're helping. And as a church, we are going above and beyond to be able to meet the needs of others, just like the church at Philippi does for Paul. And as the pastor of this church, I want you to know, to God be the glory, but you get my gratitude. Thank you so much for being so kind during this season. God gets the glory but people deserve the gratitude. So here's what I wanna do. I I want for you, if you're watching right now, to go ahead and comment. Go in the comment section, and I want you to tag one person that you are thankful for during the season. It's so important for us to tell the people that we know and love, that we love them, that we're thankful for them, that we're grateful for them. So give some love in the comment section to one person. You know who I'm really thankful for? My wife, Ashley. Yes, she is a mom to two beautiful girls, but she's also my wife and she's my best friend and she, she's so good to me. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I was actually supposed to be graduating from college this week. I really wasn't supposed to be preaching this sermon. I was supposed to be in Arizona where I was going to be graduating from Grand Canyon University for the last three years. I've been doing online school, working towards my theology degree, and I would be graduating magna cum laude doing a moonwalk across the stage. But due to COVID-19, my graduation was canceled, and so... I'm here at home. Well, on Friday, when my graduation was supposed to be, I I came home and I noticed there was a little surprise party for me. And I thought, oh, this is going to be lovely. And I walk inside and there's my wife and there's my two girls and there's my grandparents. And I'm like, yay, surprise for me. (laughs) I mean, it wasn't just wasn't the same. And then as we're eating cake and she has me put on a cap and gown and she says, hey, let's go out in front of the front yard and let's take some pictures. And so I'm like, okay. And so I put my cap and gown on, I walk out in the front yard and then all of a sudden there's my friends and family and my church family having a parade down the street, honking their horns and giving me Chili's gift cards. It was amazing. And my wife and my family and the church, they organized all of that for me, and I'm just so grateful in this season to know that there are people who are in my corner, who are cheering me on, who are celebrating, and who are supporting me. It's so good to know that you are loved 
And we want for you to let others know that they are loved too. So it's important for us to be thankful even when we are uncertain. Who are you thankful for? Go ahead, leave a comment, let them know that you're thankful for them. The second thing he tells us is when you're uncertain, you can also be content. You can be content. Here's what he says in verse 11. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in for me to be content. There's our word. The problem that many people lack joy is not because they lack certainty, but rather because they lack contentedness. It's not that you lack certainty, but it's that you lack the ability to be content. He goes on. I know how to be brought low. For those of you who are familiar with Paul's story, true or false, he knows how to be brought low. Yeah, if you read 2 Corinthians or the book of Acts, it actually gives you a lot of his story. It says that he was beaten, he was shipwrecked, he was abandoned on a desert island, his friends betrayed him, that he was mocked, he was ridiculed, he was jeered, he was stoned, and not like you did in college, but with an actual rock, he was stoned, he was left outside and left for dead multiple times. He knows how to be brought low. He didn't have the easiest life. He's actually riding this from prison, suffering, but yet he is still content. He says, I know how to be brought low, and I also know how to be abounding, that it's not all been bad, that there's been some good days and there's been some bad days, but not everything's been bad. In fact, I've actually had it pretty good. I know what it's like to get a great job. I also know what it's like to lose a job. I know what it's like to have a lot of money in the bank. I also know what it's like to live off of unemployment. I know what it's like, Paul says, to be on top of the mountain. And he says, I also know what it's like to fall off the side of the cliff. He says, I have learned in every situation that I am to be content in any and every circumstance, for I have learned the secret. He's going to give us a little secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Then he says in verse 13, the big life verse, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul says here that the key to finding joy is learning to be content. The key to finding joy is learning to be content. One of the reasons that so many people lack the ability to find joy is because they do not have the ability to be content and to appreciate the things that they have. God wants for you to have a heart and an attitude of contentment, but... Satan wants to come in, rob, steal, kill, destroy, and take the heart of contentment and get you to begin to covet. The opposite of contentment is coveting. And I know that in America, we don't use that word covet very often, but it is a very big deal. It's such a big deal that it actually makes one of the Ten Commandments, that God wants you to find joy through contentment, but Satan wants to steal your joy through coveting. Coveting is wanting what some Someone else has. Coveting is looking and seeing what other people have and then comparing your life to theirs. Comparison is the thief.
thief to joy, and coveting is the enemy to the joy that God wants to give to you. In fact, this was actually the first lie that Satan ever told our first parents. This is the oldest trick in the book. If you think about it, all the way back in Genesis, when God made Adam and Eve, he placed them in the Garden of Eden. Do you know what Eden means? Delights. That it literally was a garden of joy. God said, here's all of the joy that you'll ever need to be able to enjoy your life. I've given you everything that you need to live a joy-filled life. And you can eat of any tree minus one. Do not partake of the tree of the knowledge or good and evil, or surely you will die. And then Satan comes along and he begins to tempt Eve by getting her to focus on the one thing that she can't have. And then Eve saw that the fruit was good to the taste, and then she ate, and sin entered into the world, and then we lost our joy. Satan tricked Eve to trade her joy from being content to being a coveter. That coveting actually robs your ability to enjoy the things that God has already given you. When you live your life in this disposition, it's going to cause you to be frustrated, for you to be miserable, and for you to always be comparing yourself to other people, and then you will not be able to enjoy the things that you have. Last week, I told you that there's two ways to live. You can live in the kingdom of God, or you can live in the culture of the world. The kingdom way of living is to be content with what you have. That's what Paul says. I have learned that what in, ever, in whatever situation for me to be content, because it's Christ who strengthens me. That is kingdom living. That is kingdom mentality. But the other way for you to live is cultural living according to the culture of the world and in America our entire culture is built on nothing more than getting you to learn to covet that marketer social medias and advertisers all they do is spend billions of dollars to be able to get you to want what other people have and to be discontent and satisfied with the life that you live today I mean this is why people spend money they don't have to buy things they don't need to impress people that they don't even know the majority of Americans are on antidepressants. It's the number one medication in our country. The majority of people are overworked, overwhelmed, and they are overspent. They are living in debt. We have become the borrower that is slave to the lender. And you would think that after all of these years, that the wealth that we have accumulated, the success and the accolades that we have received, Americans would finally learn to be content and happy and satisfied and think it's so great and exactly the opposite, that we are more miserable, we are more depressed, we are more dissatisfied because we are more discontent. Paul says, I know what it's like to be low, and also I know what it's like to abound, and here's the reason how. It's about being content. It's about being satisfied with what you have. Paul says, do you want to find joy? Let me give you a little secret. That life is not about how much you have, but how much you enjoy. Okay, go ahead and write that down because that was good. Let me repeat it one more time. Life is not about how much you have, but how much you enjoy. See, we think that joy is found in more. We want more money. We want more sex. We want more fame. We want more glamour. We want more, 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 more. And the more we have, the less satisfied we are because that's actually not the truth. I know some people who make a lot of money, but they don't have a lot of joy. 
And I know other people who don't make a lot of money, but they have a lot of joy. Do you know why? Because they've learned to enjoy what they already have. See, life is not about how much you have. You think if I could just get that car, if I could just get that girl, if I could just get married, if I could just get that diploma, if I could just get that GPA, then at the end of it, I will finally be happy. And for those of us who have all those things, guess what? The goalpost keeps moving and we never find our joy because joy is not found in getting more. Joy is found in enjoying what you already have. This is why he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, and no, that verse is not about your sports game or passing a test, okay? Because there are some things that you just can't do no matter how much you pray. For me, one of those things, I just can't dunk, right? I am 5'9 on a good day, right? No matter how many times I quote Philippians 4.13, I'm still not going to be able to dunk, okay? That's not what he's talking about. What he actually means is this. He says, I can do all things through Christ because it's Christ who strengthens me, that I can enjoy the life that God has given me because it's Jesus who is my great joy who gives me the strength. Listen, God has already given you everything that you need to be able to enjoy your life. What has God given you? God has given you grace through Jesus. God has given you forgiveness through Jesus. God has given you his mercy through Jesus. God has removed your sins through Jesus. God has declared you righteous through Jesus. You have everything that you need to be able to enjoy the life that God has given you. That you have forgiveness and freedom through Jesus. You have a church that loves you because of Jesus. You have a Bible in your hands. You know what a great gift that is? You have the Holy Spirit, the deposit of heaven inside of your heart. You have spiritual gifts that God has given you to be able to love and serve other people and make a difference in this world. It doesn't matter if you're rich. It doesn't matter if you're poor. What God wants for you is to enjoy the life that he has given you. And if you're always comparing yourself to other people, you will never be able to walk in the joy that he has for you. God has a joy that is big enough for you to enjoy your life. If you learn how to be content, are you content? Are you satisfied with the blessings and the quality of life that God has already given to you? One of my pastors actually taught me this lesson. When I was going through a difficult season of discontentedness, my pastor, he sat me down and he said, Byron, the hardest math is counting your blessings. Because so often we tend to focus on the negative and we tend to focus on everything that we don't have that we're unable to enjoy the things that we already have. The hardest math is counting your blessings. Look around you in your life. How many blessings are in your life? How many gifts has God given you? How many ways has God loved you? And begin counting those things. Instead of counting what you don't have, consider everything that you do have and you'll realize just how truly blessed you really are. Are you content? If you have a heart and state of discontentedness, then you will be missing out on joy. But if you want to find joy, even when you're uncertain, Paul says, I found a little secret. It's called contentment. Not a lot of people know how to do it. That's why not a lot of people have joy. But when you're uncertain, you need to be content. And then he goes on to the third point is this, that you can be committed. 
Even when you're uncertain, you can still be committed. Verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. So the Philippians, they're sharing the troubles. They're literally bearing the burden of Paul. They are kind, they are concerned, and they're sharing his troubles. This is what it should be like for us as Christians, that when we see other people in need, we give to be able to meet that need. When we see other people are hurting, we want to get involved and we want to help them, that we want to share burdens, we want to share in other people's troubles to help lighten the load. Verse 15, and you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, he's talking about planting churches here. No church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except only you. Even in Thessalonica, you sent for me to help my needs yet once again. In fact, this is actually pretty amazing. Paul, he plants multiple churches all across the ancient world. He writes 13 books of the Bible and he writes nearly by volume two thirds of the New Testament. And what Paul says here is that out of all of those churches, the only church that actually partnered with him in giving and in receiving was the church at Philippi. In fact, they actually gave to him twice. One time when he was in Thessalonica and one time right now as he is in Rome. That they are the most generous church in the Bible. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul uses the church at Philippi as a godly example encouraging the Corinthians to give. Because this is a loving church, this is a serving church, this is a giving church, this is a very committed church. And this is so important for us, especially during this season, to learn the lesson of commitment from the church at Philippi. Because when life is uncertain, here's what I've discovered. Many times, many people, when life is uncertain, God and the church is the first thing to go. That when life gets uncertain, God gets the short end of the stick. That church, well, that's normally the first thing on the chopping block when it comes to their life. So when people are feeling overworked, all of a sudden, Sunday's my only day off. Okay, I guess we're not going to church this weekend. Grab the kids. Let's go to the lake. Or when budget gets really tight, well, we're going to cut our tithe. We're not going to stop tithing to Netflix and Hulu and Taco Bell because those things are important. But we can't give to the church right now because everything is uncertain. When you're frustrated, overwhelmed, well, I can't serve in the church anymore. I'm not going to go to my community group anymore. I've had a very long day. I just need to focus on me right now. And when life gets uncertain, well, typically church is the first thing that gets cut. And this is something that's very important. And I want you to be able to ask yourself this question. Do you see the church as a hotel or do you see the church as a home? What Paul's talking about here is using this word partner. See, a partner is somebody who is invested. A partner is somebody who is committed. Are you committed to the church or are you a consumer in the church? Do you see the church as a hotel or do you see the church as a home? Do you know what the difference between a hotel and a home is? Okay, a hotel, you come, you stay, you leave, you go, and you say thank you. In a home, you're invested, you're committed, and you're devoted because that's your family. The number one reference that Paul uses to describe the church in the New Testament is that we are a family. Over and over again in the book of Philippians, he's going to use it again at the very end, he refers to us as brothers and sisters, that the church is a family, that God is a father. He is a loving, good, gracious father who adopts us into his family, and as the church, we become brothers and sisters in Christ, and the church becomes the home 
and the house of the family of God. When God sees the church, you know what he sees? He sees it as a home. But tragically, in American culture, many people do not view the church as a home. Instead, they view the church as a hotel. That they come, they stay, they enjoy the goods and services, and then they leave. Do you know what the difference is? The difference is commitment. At home, I'm committed. I'm committed to my wife. I'm committed to my little girls. I'm committed to my family that I get up, I serve, I work, I clean, I make and provide for the family. I protect, I love, I pray, I serve because I am committed. I am devoted to my home. And that's the same way that the Philippian church was to Paul. And that's the same way that we should be to our church, that we should not see it like a hotel, but rather we should see the church as a home. As Christians, I want you to know that the church is to be your home, that you're to give, you're to love, you're to serve, you're to pray, and you're to be devoted and invested. You're to be a partner at your home. If you're non-Christian, we want you to know you're our guest. You're our guest. We love you. And so we don't ask non-Christians to serve. It's like your first Sunday here and we're like, hey, here's a mop and a bucket, go get to work. No, we don't do that for non-Christians because it's the Christian's job to be able to do that for the non-Christians because non-Christians, you are a guest. We don't want you to give. The only thing we want non-Christians to give is to give their life to Jesus, right? That's all we want. All we want for you is to receive, to receive the love of God that he has for you. And so that way you can be able to see what it really means to live in the family of God. Non-Christians are our guests. We don't make non-Christians pay for the lights, right? Because, well, the Christians, they pay for the lights. We don't make our non-Christian friends pay for the building or pay for the staff or pay the kids' curriculum. We don't make them pay for counseling. We give all of that away totally for free because non-Christians are our guests. But if you are a Christian, the church is your home, and so it's your opportunity, it's your privilege, it is your responsibility to be able to give and to serve in the church because the church is your home. Listen, right now, we have more guests than ever before. As we're going online and we're live streaming, more people than ever before are tuning in to hear the message of Jesus. Each week, we have some three to 4,000 video views. We have online connect cards, salvations, people joining our Facebook connect group, people who are watching and they're wanting that when COVID-19 is over to make Redemption Church their home, We have a lot of guests, which means this is the best opportunity for you to be committed into your church because some things have changed, but God has still called you here. That has not changed. There are some things you are uncertain of, but we are sure that God has called us to be this church, that God has called us to be a gospel-centered movement in the heart of the city where every man, woman, and child experiences life change through Jesus. The situation may have changed, but the mission is the same. The circumstances may have changed, but the mission is still the same. And if God has called you to it, God's going to do it. And it's an opportunity for all of us in this season to renew and to revive our commitment to the church. Do you see the church like a hotel or do you see the church like a home? To be committed into the church creates a great joy even when you are uncertain. He goes on and he gives us the next point, which is when you're uncertain, not only can you be committed, but you can also be generous. Much of Philippians here is actually speaking about the generosity that the Philippian church has shown. We saw last 
chapter three that the whole book of Philippians is written as a response to Epaphroditus bringing a financial offering from the church at Philippi to Paul in Rome. And as a response to this great gift and the generosity of the church at Philippi, he writes this book of the Bible. And I just want to say, this is one of the reasons why generosity is so, so important. Because generosity does change lives. That when you give to God through the church, lives are changed. And here's how I know this. The whole reason we have the book of Philippians is because the Philippian church was generous. We would not have this Bible if they did not give. I mean, one book of the Bible would be missing. Our Bible would be incomplete. The ability to find joy, the book of joy would not be here if this church was not generous. How many of you love the book of Philippians? Are you loving studying the book of Philippians? Do you know why we have the book of Philippians today? Well, because they were generous. That their generosity has continued to bless millions and millions and millions of people 2,000 years later because they took up a special offering one day. And here we are in downtown Beaumont, Texas, still reaping the benefits of the blessings from the church at Philippi. This is what happens when you give. That God takes your giving God blesses your giving. God multiplies your giving. And when you give, it may not seem like much, but in God's hands, it can change the world. It's changed my life because this church gave. Here's what he says. Not that I seek the gift. He's not talking about the money. He's not begging them for money. He's not manipulating them for money. Instead, here's what he's looking for. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that is to increase to your credit. For I have received full payment and more. He's taken good care of. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. So he got the offering. It's a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to the Lord. He's referring to giving as a form of worship. Did you know that your giving is actually worship before the Lord? In the Old Testament, nobody would actually go to church without having an offering or a gift to be able to present to God. You will not find it anywhere in the Old Testament where somebody came to church and went to service and they didn't have a sacrifice to make because giving is a form of worship. As you're giving, you're showing that God is greater, God is bigger, and God is your provider and that you trust in him. He's talking about giving as a sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And then he says this in verse 19, and my God will supply every, what's the word? Need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Some of you hear that and you say, well, I gave one time and God didn't give back and meet my need. No, God met your need, but maybe you confused your need with your greed. Right, God doesn't give back to meet your greed. So this isn't a prosperity theology where if you give a hundred bucks, God's going to give you a new car. That's prosperity theology. That's not what Paul is talking about. That God doesn't meet your greed, but you'll see that God meets your need. Some people, they go in the opposite direction and they hold to what is a poverty theology. They say, God doesn't want you to be rich. God wants you to be poor. So go sell all of your possessions and let's live in tiny house nation. Hey, that's not what he's saying either. He's going back to being content, to being content with what you have because God meets your need. Now, when you give, 
well, God, he's going to take care of you. He's going to provide for you. He says that he meets your need according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To God, our Father, be the glory forever and ever. Amen. As Paul begins to conclude the letter, you'll notice that there is a shift and a transition in what he's talking about. So he starts the letter and he's writing about joy and suffering and joy and selfishness. And then he goes and he talks about anxiety. And then here at the very end, he begins to talk about money. Why would he make this shift? Well, it's because some of our greatest suffering, selfishness, and anxiety is caused by our view of our money. Okay, Jesus says it like this. Where your money is, that's where your heart is. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And one of the reasons that many of us find ourselves to be uncertain is because we we don't really know where our heart is because we place our worship and trust in our, in our money. Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That's what our whole treasures on earth. That's what our whole life is. That's why we're looking for joy. If I can just get these possessions, if I can just surround myself with this promise or possessions or people, if I can just buy this, then I will finally be happy. And we spend our entire life storing up treasures here on earth where moth and rust can destroy. Jesus says, don't do that. That's a bad investment. You're not going to get a good return on your investment. Instead, store up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and a thief cannot break in and steal it. Jesus says, hey, when you give, God takes it and he stores it up for you in heaven where there's great blessings and there is a reward for you. See, we think that the more money we have, the more joy we have. Paul says, actually, I've discovered the opposite is true, that the more we give, the more joy God gives. Hey, how many of you have experienced the joy of generosity? Giving to other people produces a great sense of joy. And some people are like, well, you know, I just don't like it when pastors talk about money. I think pastors talk about money, and here's another pastor talking about money, but you know what I've discovered? is that no generous person ever gets upset about the giving sermon. Never seen it happen. Generous people, they love the generosity sermon because they know the joy of generosity. That's why he says here, he says, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He's saying, I love to see you give because I love to see God give you joy. It's a joy to be generous. Jesus even says it like this in the book of Acts. He says, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Do you know what that word blessed means in the Greek? It's actually Joyful. It is more joyful to give than it is to receive because when you give to God, God always gives back joy. I know it to be true. Paul knows it to be true. And I want for you to know that it is true. And he says this, and it's so, so beautiful. He says, Not that I seek the gift in verse 17, but that I seek the fruit that is to increase to your credit. What when you receive that word fruit? fruit there in the Bible. It normally refers to a harvest of people or a harvest of souls. He's talking about when you give, there is great fruit and fruit from your giving is more people meeting Jesus. It is a harvest. It is a blessing. It is a reward of souls that come from that harvest and it increases to your credit. What he's encouraging them is that when you give, more people meet Jesus and then you become blessed because of that. That more people meet Jesus, more people 
people get saved, more people get baptized, more missionaries get sent, more lives get changed. And every dollar you give, God uses it as an investment into eternity. And then he begins to change lives. That is the fruit that increases according to your credit. Another way to say it is like this, that vision requires provision. Just the same way that a car needs gas or your body needs food for fuel, the church needs fuel of finances to be able to reach the mission and the vision that God has given them. That vision requires provision. As you provide to the church, God, he uses it to help other people meet Jesus. The Philippians, they gave to Paul. He writes books of the Bible and the church continues to grow mature and flourish because vision requires provision. And so what I want to do as we're nearing the end of this series, I want to just give you a little bit of vision here at Redemption. Just a little bit about who we are and where we're going as a church. Me and my wife, Ashley, we started this church four years ago. And four years ago, we we moved to Beaumont and we began praying and we began looking and we began asking, God, what do you want us to do? Where do you want us to move and plant a church? We've been planting churches uh, in large metropolitan areas like Houston and in New York. And we served in urban ministries and we reached the least Christian cities in America. And we were all excited for that. And we felt a shift in transition that God was calling us somewhere else. So I'm from Beaumont. And as we moved here to collect our bearings, we're praying. We're like, God, where do you want us to go? Where do you want us to go? Where do you want us to go? We'll go anywhere. And then God said, good, you're home in Beaumont. And I was like, we'll go anywhere but Beaumont's <laughs> because we didn't want to be here. But well, we love the Lord. And so we wanted to obey. And I called the presbyter for the South Texas Assemblies of God. And I went and met with him. His name's Donnie Flippa. We went and met at Jason's Deli. And I sat down with my pastor, Donnie, and I began sharing him my vision to plant a new church. And I was like, how do you feel about that? Is that something you're praying for? You know, what's your thoughts on that? And he said, Byron, we just had a meeting where a bunch of pastors came together and we began to pray that God would send a young man and his wife to plant a new church in Beaumont. And then you called me on the phone and now we're meeting here. See, where God gives vision, God also gives provision. Wherever you're wanting to know what's God's will for your life, the moral of the story is go eat at Jason's Deli. You'll find it. No, just kidding. But it is that God provides for the vision that he gives. And so we set out to begin planting Redemption Church. And I met a couple of people. We bought up some tacos and burritos. We started sharing our vision, but we didn't have a lot of provision. Our church started with 10 people right here in this very room four years ago as a small group. And here we are concluding this series during this season of uncertainty, the same way we were uncertain then of what God's going to do. We're uncertain now about what God's going to do. But I do know this, that God always comes through for us because our church started right here in this room and it just continued growing. And then we had our grand opening. We opened the church in a bar on Crockett Street, and we had 171 people in our very first service. And over the course of that year, we grew the church from 171 to 50. 
See, we had a lot of vision, but at the beginning of our church, we didn't have a lot of provision. That we had a big mission because we had a big God, but we didn't really have a big provision to be able to supply for that. So here's what we did. We just kept praying. We just kept believing. We just kept serving. We just kept loving, and we kept moving forward, and God continued to bring more and more and more people into the church, and as people come into the church, they begin to bring their provision into the church as well. And as our church was growing, we found a new building, an old warehouse in the heart of downtown that we renovated, turned it into our new home. And when we had our grand opening that last year in 2019, our church actually doubled in size as the vision grew, the provision grew as well. And last year, every single Sunday, we were more, had more people than we did the Sunday before. Our church keeps growing. People keep meeting Jesus, people keep giving, people keep serving, and God is providing for the vision that he has given to us. And the way that he does that is through people like you who are generous, who go above and beyond to be able to give to their church. And so as our church is growing, my vision is growing, which means for us, our provision needs to grow as well. And so let me share with you a a few things that I see coming up for us as a church. This is the fruit that increases to your credit. Over the last year, we've baptized over 100 people. We have uh, 50 kiddos who are in our kids' church. We have three services. Each one of us packed. Last year, we gave over $20,000 to missions, and I plan on doing all of that again as soon as we are able to convene. So today, we're wrapping up the book of Philippians, and I want to share with you where we're going next, okay? The next series that we're going to do, starting in two weeks, is we're actually going to start a new book of the Bible, a book of Song of Solomon. We're going to be going verse by verse through Song of Solomon. And here's the reason why. Because research that I've been reading has shown that the longest lasting impact and effect of COVID-19 is not necessarily going to be on the economy, but rather in the family. That marriages are struggling. That singles are struggling. That we're living in a culture and a day and age where the health of the home and the family is suffering pornography is a epidemic, that drug addiction, alcoholism is through the roof, that child abuse and child neglect is such a really big deal today, and that people's relationships are struggling and strained, and so we want to be able to help. So we're going to be starting a eight-week series through the book Song of Solomon that we're calling the Bible's Guide to a Better Marriage. We want to help you have a better marriage. We want to help you have a greater relationship. We want to help you have God. God's way for your life so that way you can experience life the way that God wants for you to do. So next week, we're excited to start Song of Solomon. It's going to be great. I want you to tune in with that. And as soon as that's over, we're going to be starting a six-week mini-series that we're calling We Are Redemption. Because what I believe is this, is that when we do open the church back up, there's going to be a lot of new friends. There's going to be a lot of family members. There's going to be a lot of online people who are wanting to to meet in person and we're going to have a great time. And so the We Are Redemption vision series is going to get everybody on board together. And in the meantime, here's what we're going to do. Many people have been asking, are we going to meet in person or are we going to stay online? 
what we're going to do is we're going to have church online. We do not feel as if we're able to provide the experience that all of us have come to know and love at Redemption, given the social distancing guidelines and the expectations that are placed upon us by the government. And so we want to keep people to be safe. And so we feel like it's the best thing for us to do to stay having online services and small groups during this season. But... We will be having live recordings on Friday nights. On Friday nights, we're going to open up the church and you can RSVP up to 50 people and we're going to have a full redemption worship service. We're going to have worship. We're going to have the sermon. We're going to have prayer. We're going to have the full redemption service on Friday nights. Up to 50 people are invited. We're going to record the entire thing and then we're going to rebroadcast it on Sundays. So if you would like to come to a redemption service. We're going to drop a link this week and you can stay connected in our connect page and you can find the link to be able to RSVP first come first serve for Friday night live recordings. After COVID-19 is over, we're planning a big welcome back party. We're going to have a party to celebrate the family and everybody coming back in. We're going to cheer. We're going to rejoice. We're going to worship together. And so we're going to have games for the kids. We're going to start the We are Redemption Sermon Series. We're going to have food trucks and we're going to have three services. It's going to be absolutely incredible. So go ahead, click that heart, like, and share button right now to say how excited you are for that. And we're also going to keep online services even after Redemption or COVID is over. We're going to keep live streaming because there's so many people who are tuning in and experiencing life change. And God forbid if another outbreak of COVID-19 happens in the fall, we're already going to have the technology, the skills, the team, and the equipment so that our church doesn't ever miss a single beat. So we're going to have in-person and online services when that gets started, and other things are going to begin opening up together as a church as well. So we're going to be opening up in a few weeks, first Wednesday night prayer nights in June. We're going to open up youth Bible studies coming up in June as well. Team nights are coming, members meeting coming up in a few weeks, and then we're going to start small group training as well. With the reopening plans and guidelines, there are some things that we can do and we want to do them things so that way we can continue moving forward. For more information on all of that, we'll post a link in the bottom and you can actually go to our connect page. It's a private online face group, Facebook group with all information and updates. We'll post the link in the comments and you can actually join that and stay connected to the church. Once the church does open back up again. We're going to move our service times. We have three services. We're going to do nine. We're going to do 11 and 6 p.m. We're going to push back our 530 to a 6 p.m. service. And the reason we want to do this is because we want to give more people who are just getting off of work to be able to get in. And also we want to be able to comply with the social distancing as well. I believe that our church is going to keep rocking and rolling. We're going to keep growing because we have a really big vision and we have two more years on our lease. If our church continues growing at the rate that it's growing, I believe that we'll be at four services, either a two o'clock or a four o'clock, maybe a Saturday night. I'm not sure, but we're going to have to do something to be able to meet the capacity of all the people who I believe that
that God is sending into our church. I do not believe that God has caused COVID-19, but I do believe that God is going to use COVID-19 because the church is a home. We are a family. And right now there is a massive adoption agency that God is doing, that God is using COVID-19 as an opportunity and a season of revival all across the region and all across the nation, that God the Father is in heaven and he is adopting his children and he is bringing them into a healthy home and he is looking for churches that are ready, that are willing to love, to give, to serve and to bless his kids. Why would God send his kids to a church that wasn't ready for him? So redemption, we gotta get ready for him. We have to be ready. We have to be willing. We have to be serving because God is gonna be bringing a lot of new kids into our home. And so we wanna be ready for them. And as our church continues growing, the situation may have changed, but the vision is the same. I believe that when our lease is up, it's time for us to begin moving forward and purchasing our very own building in the heart of downtown. I can't say what it is, but I do know it's about 155,000 square foot, and I believe that God's gonna give it to us. And so there's some work for us to do. The vision is big, but the provision is there. That where God gives vision, God always brings the provision to make it possible. And so here's what you can do. You can do three things. Number one, you can keep investing. That as you give, it is the fruit that increases to your credit. You can keep investing in the church by going online, clicking on the link in the comments, and going by giving to our Rebel Give. That way you can set up a monthly reoccurring giving of your tithe, which is 10% or anything above and beyond as your heart leads you to. You can also give a one-time donation of any amount that the Lord lays on your heart. You can keep investing in the church. It's the best investment you'll ever make. You can keep inviting, inviting friends, inviting family members, clicking the share button, inviting other people to experience life change through Jesus. And you can also get involved. We have opportunities of serving, whether it's in the parking lot, all the way to the pulpit, there is a place for you to be involved in the church. Keep investing, keep inviting and stay involved, which leads to the question of this. How is your provision? If God gives vision, how is your provision? And I want you to know, Redemption, you are a very generous church. I haven't always been able to say that as the pastor, but I want to encourage you. You guys are very generous. During this season of uncertainty, you have overwhelmed me with your generosity. Seriously, we have not, we have not missed a payment. We have not ever missed a salary or paying our employees. We have never missed an online bill or internet bill. We've never missed an electricity bill. We keep being able to keep everything going and that's all because of your generosity through this season. We never dropped a single dime in missionaries giving. In fact, we have given above and beyond some $5,000 over our normal missions budget during this season. People are giving. You are giving. You are being very generous. In fact, the last two months have actually been the best months this year for us as a church because your heart, your love, your ability to serve and to give even when everything is uncertain. And so redemption, you're my Philippian church. I love you so much. I am so thankful and grateful for you. I am so pleased by you because you are so generous. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. 
thank you. Keep investing in your church. Keep inviting other people to the church and keep on pressing on and keep staying involved in your church because vision requires provision. It is the fruit that increases to your credit, which leads to the final point, the last verse of the book of Philippians. He says, even when you are uncertain, you can still be Joyful. He says, greet every saint. There's your identity. That's who you are. You're a saint. Go ahead. Put it on your Instagram bio. Saint Sally. That's you. You're a saint in Jesus Christ. And then Paul says, greet them. Say hello. Say hi. Put some hand sanitizer on your hand and give them a high five. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me, they greet you. All of the saints, they greet you. Especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The Apostle Paul writes the book of Philippians because he loves his church. I picked the book of Philippians because I love you as my church. Paul planted the church at Philippi. I planted the church here at Redemption. And he's away from them, but he loves them. I'm away from you, but I want you to know that I love you. And Paul can't wait to greet him. And I can't wait to greet you. I'm excited for you. I love you. I am praying for you. I am right there with you. But even greater than that, the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ is with you. You may be social distancing, but God is not distant from you. You may be alone, but God is still with you. We may be away from one another, but we are still together because the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ is with you today. And if you got Jesus, guess what? You got joy because Jesus is our joy. That joy is not circumstantial. Joy is supernatural. That joy is not out there. Joy is in here. That joy is not something you achieve. Joy is something you receive and it comes from receiving Jesus Christ as your Lord. I want you to know the joy that comes from serving Jesus. I want you to know the love that comes from serving Jesus. I want you to know the grace that comes from serving Jesus. Even when you are uncertain, you can be sure of this. If you got Jesus, you got joy. I don't know how some people live life without Jesus. I don't. I don't know how some people go through life so uncertain without Jesus. How do people live without Jesus, without giving up, without giving in, and without being able to understand how much and how great Jesus loves them. If you want joy, it is possible for you to find joy, and it's found in Jesus. Give your life to Jesus today. Surrender your life to Jesus today. Be connected to Jesus today. You may be uncertain, but you do not need to be uncertain about Jesus' love for you because he loves you and he demonstrates his love for you by dying on the cross to take away your sins and to give you his joy. Redemption, I want you to know that I love you. And yes, this may be an uncertain season, but you can still be thankful. This may be an uncertain season, but you can still be content. This may be an uncertain season, but you can still be committed and you can still be generous and you can still have joy. We have joy even when the world is falling apart. We have joy even when we are suffering. We have joy even when we are selfish. 
We have joy even when we are overwhelmed, even when we are frustrated, even when we are anxious, and especially when we are uncertain. We can still have joy because it is the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ who is with us and he is our joy. Well, thanks again for tuning in with us here at Redemption Church. If this message was helpful to you in any way, leave a review, like, comment, or share with your friends to help others experience life change through Jesus. Oh.